we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks some key things in family. We're going to talk about the church as a family. We're going to be talking about uh, respecting age. We're going to be talking about raising a legacy, that's uh, parenting children. And then today, of course, we get to start off with honoring marriage and uh, good things. So in speaking of honoring marriage, there is a memory verse from Hebrews 13.4 that says this, marriage should be honored by all. I wonder where I got that title. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And so it's a, it's a heavy verse, but it's an important verse, right? There's a consequence to not getting this right. Notice in there it says marriage should be honored by all. And so when we start this series, you may say, well, I'm not married. Well, guess what? You're part of the all. We all get to honor marriage. And so this way, we're going to talk about that today. What does it mean to honor marriage and why should we do that? Well, I think this is important for us because marriage is not honored in today's society. Absolutely not honored. In fact, marriage is straight up under attack. And this is not some kind of strange conspiracy theorist or theory or anything like that. I'm going to give you some quotes by folks who are leading the cause against marriage and culture. And, uh, oh, i got to take away those things first. Go away, letters. And boom. Okay, so Professor Linda Gordon from, oh, oh go back. Professor Linda Gordon uh, from New York University wrote this. The nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever its ultimate meaning, the breakup of families now is an objective revolutionary process. Wrote that in 1970. Um, You'll notice that this is not some strange quack that's off somewhere. Uh, Professor. High-level things. A professor of actually of humanities. Um, We see this. Robin Morgan, a feminist activist and author, wrote this, said this. We can't destroy the inequities between men and women until we destroy marriage. And uh, a lot of her writings are actually required texts in most college universities in order to get a liberal arts degree. Um, We'll find this. Sheila Cronin, National Organization of Women, she's a leader of that, says, since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. We go on. The Declaration of Feminism, which I actually have a copy of because I had to read it in a Christian college in order to work towards my liberal arts degree, says this, The end of the institution of marriage is is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and to not live individually with men. In fact, right after that, it says, And history must be rewritten in terms of the oppression of women, and we must go back to ancient female religions like witchcraft, is actually in that same document, which is required reading. How about this? Professor Mary Jo Wayne uh, from Wesley College, she has lots of other things that she has done. <laughs> she says this In order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from their families and community and communally raise them. These are the people that are setting up schools. How about this? Professor Kate Millett, University of California, amongst a lot of other places that she wrote. In fact, she wrote a a huge book, which is taken from, called Sexual Politics, which again is required text in a lot of universities. And I have a copy. this. The care of children is infinitely better left to the best trained practitioners of both sexes who have chosen it as a vocation. This would further undermine the family structure while contributing to the freedom of women. Understand that The people who are designing the politically correct marriage are actively trying to destroy family. Not me saying that, in their own direct words saying that. 
And so it's no surprise that, guess what? Marriage is in trouble. Look at this. Professor Vivian Gorg says, being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. The choice to serve and be protected and plan towards being a family maker is a choice that shouldn't be. Which is why in our schools and in in popular readings and things like this, this idea that women should definitely not be homemakers, should definitely not focus on family or things like this. In fact, the home should not be a focus at all. This is why it's taught. My wife was shamed all the way through school because the thing that she wanted most in life was not a career, but was to, to make sure that we had an awesome home. How about this? Margaret Sanger, everybody knows her, Planned Parenthood. The most merciful thing a large family can do to one of its infant members is kill it. It's tragic. What you understand, though, when we see this, is that popular culture, the modern family, is designed by these people. These are the ones that are speaking in the colleges, the universities, the ones that are the texts. They're the ones that are influencing the media. This is why when we look in popular culture, we see a whole different intentional, a whole different picture of family. And it's a picture of family that is totally, re, totally different than the kind of family that we would originally have found. It's, it's, it's a new kind of family that uh, is designed to fail to decentralize out of the home. And so today, and through this series, I'm not going to go through the politically correct way of doing family. And, I, and I'm not apologetic about that. I am apologetic for this. I know I'm going to offend a lot of people. Every time I talk about family, every time I talk about marriage, I get my inbox is always filled with love notes. <laughs> and it is, but it's not my heart. Here's the thing. The modern family isn't working. It just isn't working. It was designed to fail. The politically correct family was designed to fail. And so I'm not going to be saying politically correct things. And hear my heart on that. It's not to bash people over the head or to offend or to make people angry. Look at the leaders of the modern family. No wonder when we look at the family, we say, yes, it's definitely in trouble. Do you know, the, according to the uh, American Psychological Association, that, over, that the divorce rate is actually near 50%? It's like flipping a coin. And you know what else we have? According to a a 2002 CDC study on marriage, divorce, and cohabitation and couples uh, that live together, they have nearly a two and a half times greater divorce rate than those who don't cohabit before they're married. That's not from a Christian source. That's from the CDC. Not only that, the same CDC study also stated that living together before marriage is a growing trend, that more than a quarter of current marriages have a history of premarital cohabitation. And I will tell you that actually that study is ancient because I do premarital counseling and in this last year I have only had one couple, one couple that has come to me out of all the others that I've gone for counseling that haven't been living together before they came to me. And according to that U.S. Census Bureau, out of about 12 million single parent families in in 2015, 80% of them were headed by single mothers. And I will tell you one thing about single parenthood. It is not pro-woman. You see these gals who are trying to raise their kids on their own, working multiple jobs, trying to run kids around and do all that kind of stuff. It is hard. It is really hard. Do you know that one in four children under the age of 18 today is, is, and that's about 17.4 million children in our country, are being raised without a father? Right now in our country. One in four. And you know what? 
half of those live below the poverty line because it's hard to raise a child alone. You know, family troubles, they lead to sociological problems. It's not just saying, well, then family's falling apart and that's the end. No, the really is that we care about people. God cares about people. It's why he made marriage the way that he did and family the way that he did. And when family falls apart, guess what? People hurt. One of the things that happens that we find when marriages fall apart is poverty. Here's something here. Check this out. U.S. Census Bureau said this, the children in a father absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. Which means they're four times more likely to not have enough to eat at night, not to have a safe place to live, not have adequate clothing or supplies or things like this. Not only that, we see substance abuse is a big deal. And uh, when families fall apart, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says this, fatherless children are at risk of a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. That those who grow up inside of a, a, a single-parent home, and usually without, especially without dads present, much more likely to get engaged in, in substance abuse. Not only that, we find that there's physical and emotional uh, consequences for when families fall apart. We see that children of single-parent homes are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. And that's from a professor of child psychology and public health from the University of, of uh, Columbia. Did a great study on that. Not only this, we find that emotional health is affected, but physical and emotional health uh, in another way is affected. It says this, children born to single mothers show higher levels of aggressive behaviors than children born to married mothers. Living in a single mother household is equivalent to experiencing 5.25 partnership transitions. How huge that is. It affects kids. And not only does it affect kids in that way, there's educational achievement gaps that we're finding between kids that grow up in, in uh, married homes and those that grow up in, in broken homes. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. Academically fatherless children have more trouble in, while in school. They also have, are less likely to attend academic and professional qualifications in adulthood. It hurts them. Not only that, we find that there's greater risk of crime. With, associated with, with the breakdown of family. It says adolescents living in intact families are significantly less likely to engage in delinquency than their peers living in non-intact families. I'll translate that for you. If you're in a broken home, you're more likely to commit crimes. If you don't have a dad and you don't have a mom, they're raising you. It leads to greater crime. And not only do we find that, but sexual activities amongst teens and, and, and high-risk activities rises in broken homes. On this study here, it says adolescents in father-absence homes were six times more likely to be sexually active compared to adolescents living with their fathers. Six times. It makes a difference. You see that the politically correct family isn't working. It just isn't working. It's not working for families. It's not working for society. It's not working for our children. It's just flat out not working. Now, fortunately, there's another way. Now, I'm going to say today, I'm going to go through not a, uh, I'm going to go through a biblical model of family. And I'm not going to go through the traditional model, and I'm not going to go through the modern model. The modern models we've been talking about, that clearly doesn't work. The traditional model, not we're talking about, because that's really what caused the modern model, is a reaction to that. We're going to go to the Bible. Let's talk, see, how did God design family? How is it supposed to work? Of course, the key 
centerpiece of family is marriage, and so that's what we'll be discussing today. So I want you to turn in your Bible to Genesis 1. Why? Because when Jesus was asked about family, when he was asked about marriage, where did Jesus go? He said, haven't you read in the beginning? And so I think it's important for us to go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Now, if you have uh, one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 1, so it's super easy to find. If you don't have a Bible and need one, you can use one of ours in the back and you just you know, really don't have a Bible, just keep it, uh, our gift to you. So I make sure everybody has a Bible. So, all right. Now, um, as you're turning there, let me just say, you're going to notice in this that there are going to be some similarities between the traditional family and the biblical family. There are some structural things that look a lot alike, but they are very, very different in this. And we'll actually go through some of the stuff. Uh, there are some very key pieces in there. It's the attitude and it is the qualifications of, of the roles of husband and wife that really set them apart. You can have all of the structure of, the, of a traditional family and it will break down and do horrible things and really be very abusive to women and very bad for children and not so helpful for men either, actually, if we don't get these last things right. So we're going to turn to Genesis 1 and we're going to find out the first things about how do we get marriage. All right, so Genesis one twenty seven, which will be right here in your Bible, right there near the end of the page. This is where God is creating everybody. And this is the big picture creation story, not Genesis 2, where he zooms in and really focuses on humanity. But notice what he says. So God created mankind in his own image. And the image God, he created them. How did he create them that way? Male and female, he created them. God made us in his image, male and female, right? In the context of, we find in Genesis 2, family. See, God created two genders. We're going to notice in this. Now, I know this is really a hot-button topic right now. Some things that we find in, in God's design, it says he created them male and female. That's how he, he created people. Male, female. There was two. Now, I know that there was a lot of things that were broken in the fall. A lot of things are not the way that they ought to have been and, and continue on. Like God didn't design people to be blind and he didn't design people to be deaf and he didn't design people to get autoimmune diseases and he didn't design people to get all kinds of stuff, right? But when God designed it in perfection, he has two genders. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who struggle with gender and the church is not here to go and just say you're evil. You know what? It's not a sin to struggle. When was the last time you saw somebody have the flu and you walked by them and say, hey, you horrible sinner? Have you ever done that? Because if you did, you're a heartless creep. <laughs> right? If somebody struggles, the church should be the safest place for that person. As far as I know, and I read in Christ and his heart for the church, is we should be the place that's going out and helping and serving people who are struggling. That's what we do. So it's not an issue of judgment. We have to go and look at what is truth first. So we don't, we don't condemn it, but at the same time, we don't stand as a church and say you're an evil because you struggle, but we also can't normalize brokenness. The church is not a place where it says it's normal to be paralyzed. We don't, we're not a church that says it's normal to struggle with illness. That's not the way that God designed things. We don't normalize brokenness. We care for those who are broken. That's what we do. In fact, when we normalize brokenness, and we normalize these kinds of things. What does it do? Well, it diminishes the brokenness. I know a lot of folks who struggle with gender issues, and guess what? They do struggle in life. They have a higher percentage of, of depression, 
and all kinds of, of inner turmoil and things like this, they're hurting. And for me to say that's normal is not kind. For me able to enter into their pain with them and to say, you know what, that is difficult. And I'm going to walk alongside you with this. We don't normally because it diminishes their brokenness. But you know what it also does? It diminishes God's holiness. It's for us to say that God somehow designed things to be painful. That God designed this world to be broken. And he didn't. In God's perfection, things work well. The reason things are broken is because we hijacked this world and God let us. That's why things are broken. But when we normalize brokenness, we diminish God's holiness. And remember that marriage, that right, we were made in God's image, male and female, it diminishes who, who we were saying he is. And not only that, it diminishes God's grace. For how can I receive grace in my brokenness if I don't think I'm broken? Notice that Jesus did this with the Pharisees. He was so angry with them. He says, I am a physician and I came to heal the sick and you guys don't even know you're sick. They couldn't receive grace. Far be it from us as a church to ever diminish God or his grace. Far be it for us forever to, to hurt somebody in their brokenness. We are a church that should embrace with grace. And we start by looking at truth. We see in this text not only that, but masculinity and femininity are both equal in their reflection of God's image. They're also equally incomplete in reflection of God's image. Right? He didn't just make one. He made both to reflect his image well. So it's important that we get that because I think oftentimes we have this image of God as either being masculine or some people have it in their feminine. No, no. God is bigger than that, and we need both. Masculine and feminine is, is a beautiful thing. Next thing we look at is this, that marriage is, is holy. What is holy? Holy means different, set apart, unlike anything else. That's what we mean. Right? You, you've heard me use this, this analogy before, but your toothbrush is holy, isn't it? Like no one else gets to use it. It's holy unto thee, right? Right? It's, it's for one thing, and it's for you, and for a very specific purpose. Marriage is holy. It's like nothing else. It's not something people created. I think we have to get that first. We as, as, as our world and our generation that's here have done something crazy. We thought we could redefine something that God made. But people didn't create marriage. Marriage is, is not like any other relationship. It's not like a, a relationship, a business partnership where people create businesses. It's not like a government where people come together and create governments. People didn't create marriage, and people don't create marriage. It's not a social contract, and it's not a civilly defined union. And because we don't know what marriage is, oftentimes that's where we get into trouble. We understand that marriage is holy because God created it. It's something of his design. Not only that, it reflects his image. And God is not happy when we begin to mar his image. Not only that, uh, when we dismantle the family, we start to dismantle humanity because we were created. Look at that, male and female. What was the context that God made the male and female? Did he make Adam and then he made Eve like on some other part of the world and be like, oh, maybe they'll meet together. I should set them up on a date. He made them in the context of marriage. The very first human act was the wedding. You get that. One flesh. And so when we begin to dismantle family, when family falls apart, we lose something integral to our humanity. Society spins out of control. Bad things happen. 
A good family is, is holy, it's to God, but it's also it's good for us. Look at Genesis 2. I want to turn there because we're going to go zoom in a little bit onto the family. And Genesis 2, 18 says this. When created, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The perfect helper for a man is a woman. All right? God said, I'm going to make a perfect helper. It's not good for him to be alone. So I'm going to create somebody who's designed the family, a perfect helper. Masculinity needs femininity, right? A man needs a woman. And guess what? It goes the other way too. A woman needs a man. Femininity needs masculinity. It's designed to work together. They're equal and they are complementary. There's not one better than the other, but they're both very different. He didn't make another man for Adam. He didn't just make a buddy. There's a purpose for that. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but those of you who are married, you're different than your spouse. Have you ever noticed that? You kind of see things different. You might process things different. That's by design, and it's for your benefit. Look at 2.24 as we... uh, It says, when Adam saw this, he said, this, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. She's taken on the man because he's like real excited. He's like, oh, let's get married. And then that is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They were designed to come together, to be united. Though different, we were designed to be together. Now, I'm going to go real quickly through the different ways that the biblical marriage, I'm not going to, this is not a big treatise. If you want more information on this, I'll tell you how you can get through it. But then, if we go in the scripture and how did God design marriage, that's how he did it. He made two different roles, and we see it in this passage. There is a role of the husband and the wife. The man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Not all men are husbands, and not all women are wives. If you want to be a husband, you have to be married, right? And if you want to be a wife, you have to be married. If you're not married, you're not a husband or a wife. Does that make sense? So they're not equal as far as understanding, like, identity. So when we talk about the role in this particular holy relationship which God designed, there are two roles, husband, wife. They both have things they need to do. Now, in those roles, those roles are gender-based, and this is where they get into big trouble in modern society. Trust me. But in Scripture, every single time we find there is a husband, that husband is a man. Every time. And every time there is a wife, it is a woman. And it started at the beginning. A man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his Wife, God designed it that the role of husband should be filled by a male and the role of wife should be filled by a female. Not only that, there's different positions then we need to do. In Scripture, we find over and over again, every time we talk about the husband, we find that he is to be the head, that is a leader in that relationship. doesn't mean that a man is a leader over every woman, right? A husband is the leader in his family over his wife. That is it. Now, a wife also has an important role. She is the helper. I will make a helpmate suitable for him. Every time in Scripture, we find a wife as a helper. Now, this is beginning where traditional marriage breaks down, as they think that helper is a less than position. Think about this. You have a leader. The helper typically is the same word used for the Holy Spirit, advisor. Right? Somebody you go to for good counsel, to make great decisions, not somebody to step on to make them do your own bidding. Right? Helper does not mean slave. It does in Scripture mean advisor. And guess what? When a wife gives good counsel to her husband, a husband makes better direction and decisions for his family. Right? They're to work together. 
Not only that, the position, we find this motive. And this is where the modern family or the traditional family deviated from God's design. In Scripture, we find over and over again, the husband has a motive that he's supposed to operate in 100% of his time with his, in his family, and that is this, love. And love is this, it's sacrificial. It says, love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love in marriage. A husband must lay his life down every day, every decision. Not 99% of the time. 100% of the time for his family, for his wife. That's choosing her best above his home every single time. Because that's the way that Jesus loved us, isn't it? Every single time. What did we need? I needed forgiveness. What did Jesus do? He came and took a sacrifice. That's love. He gives me exactly what I need. He cares for me. Husbands are to love our wives. If you are not in a position of love, if you do not have a motive of love as you operate in as a husband, then you are not qualified to be the head of your home. Do you see that? Just as if Christ was not loving, he would have not been qualified to come and to save us. In the same way, Wives, over and over again in Scripture, we find that the motive that you are supposed to operate in is respect. That means honor. That's to honor your husband. They say, well, I'm here to help. He's not a moron. Maybe though sometimes he might act like it. Right? It's to honor him. It's to show respect. It, respect is not a doormat, by the way. Respect isn't just like, oh, whatever you said is perfect. You know, my wife respects me enough. She knows that I'm intelligent enough. I got big enough shoulders. What I'm wrong, she can tell me. Aaron, if you do this, bad things are going to happen because she respects me. Respect is a very important thing. In fact, there's a great book called Boundaries. And if you wonder about how to respect, read that book. Great book. All right. Now, we also have responsibilities in this. Our responsibilities in Scripture, the husband is supposed to be the home provider. Notice that both of these have home in the thing. Home is so essential for us as humans that God actually designs us. He says, listen, before before your ministry, before anything else that you do, your first ministry as husbands is to make a place for your home. Make a place for your family to exist. It says that we need to make sure we have you know, shelter and food and safety and love and all those things need to be provided. We, as men, have the op- obligation, right, as husbands, to make sure that there is a place that we have the materials for a home. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you've ever walked into a boy's dormitory and a girl's dormitory, there are big differences between the rooms, right? Why? Because women are the homemaker. They're the ones that take all those raw materials for a home, right, and, and change that house and make it a home, a place for family to exist. That's what they're supposed to do, right? Now, this doesn't mean that a woman can't work outside the home and help her husband provide. In fact, in our culture, sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes it is impossible for one person to earn enough income to be able to provide the space. And so what does the helper do? Oftentimes, she needs to go and help do that. And you know what? Being a, a, a home provider does not mean that you don't ever have to do any of the homemaking traditional things like washing dishes or, or things like that, right? I assist my wife a lot of times on those things. Her job is to make sure that we have a place that's a home, right? That she takes all that stuff. So sometimes she doesn't have enough energy to be able to go and to wash dishes or to vacuum the floors or to fold the laundry, 
right? And sometimes she doesn't have that. So she says to me, Aaron, go and do this. Yes, ma'am. Why? Because that's her job. She needs to make a place for home. But you know what she also does? When I work too many hours that are late, she says, you know what? We have a house, but we need a home. And a home needs a dad here that is going to be having dinner with his boy, and we're going to be talking. So you need to rearrange your schedule. Yes, ma'am. She is a homemaker. That is her God-authorized position, and I need to honor it. Right? So we have both. You have a place for a home, and you have a home. God made sure that we had a design. Those are our, our responsibilities beyond that, requirements. This, again, is where the traditional family got it wrong. Traditional family was about domination, wasn't it? And that's why there was a reaction against it. The requirements to be a husband is this, sacrifice. We need to love our wives the same way that Christ loved the church. Husbands, it is not about you. It is not about you. A good husband is a husband that lays his life down consistently for his wife, that chooses her good above his own consistently. The target is 100% of the time. I wish I could say that I was there, but, but that's the target. It's to choose her to sacrifice your things, your comfort for hers. It's not you're the king of your castle. That is traditional marriage, and that is totally wrong. I find that nowhere in Scripture. I find in Scripture that if you want to be the head of your home, you need to be the chief servant. You need to lay down yourself and your desires and what you want first for your family. It's hard to do. There are a lot of days when I come home and I'm exhausted and I'm tired and my wife needs to talk or my son needs to play. Right? If it was the king of my castle, I would say, make me dinner, you know, give me some slippers, I want to smoke my pipe, and we'll be good. That is not the way it works. It is this, I go home and then I begin to serve my wife. That's when my real job begins. And I go and I serve my son and I spend time with him. That's what a husband does. Now, wives, you have a hard role too as submission. That is really difficult. But I will tell you this as wives, it is way more easy to follow the leadership of a man who's laying his life down for you than a brutal king, right? Which is why we go back up to respect is so important. But wives, you can't have always grabbing the, f- the flight controls out of the pilot's hands. You're both going to crash the jet. There is a thing that is saying we're in this together. We're in this together. Now, there is a whole lot more. In fact, if you would like more information on how to do this, what it's like, because I just breezed this real fast. We're going to be starting a home builders class here in a couple months. So actually starting in, in February, actually starting later on this month, right here at the church. And uh, you can join that. And so we'll be having some, some sign-up things on the website for you to get on there. And to sign up for it, six weeks, begin to start hitting these things. And, and begin, it's like a small group uh, kind of format, a class uh, taught by Jim and Ruth Hawker, and it's a great way to begin to learn how to restructure your home the way it is. If it doesn't look like this model, how to restructure in a healthy way, in a real way, not as a way of somebody, you know, you're going to have questions, like how to get in there. So that's what we'll be doing. All right, back to G- Genesis 2.24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, so may become one flesh. One flesh means bonded. We need to respect marriage to realize that when God joined them together, he joins together. There is a bond. Have you ever seen a weld on a ship? You take two different pieces of metal, and then they bond them. So actually the weld is actually stronger than the pieces of metal themselves, right? The, the joint. That's what God has done for us. See, uh, and so we look at this, and oftentimes we look at it and we say, oh, well, that's just sex. One flesh means sex. And sex is part of that. Yes, it is. One flesh. But that's not all. Um, Mark 
uh, 10, 9, when Jesus talked about this, he says this, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is why we say that people don't create marriage. This is why I don't really marry people. I officiate a wedding, right? God marries. God is the one who joins. People can't join themselves together. God does it. He says, therefore, God has joined together. In a marriage, God actually takes two willing participants and says, I will join you. And I think that's why we can't redefine marriage. We can call it anything we want. We can say there's a postage stamp and a duck, and they're married. We can do that all day. But God's not joining them. And marriage is actually a joining. That's what it means. It means a joining together, and only God does that. And God makes good bonds. When God joins, he really bonds things together. And if you try to separate that, there's going to be brokenness on both sides. That Hebrews uh, 10, 13 that we memorized says marriage should be honored by all, right? By everybody. And everyone means everyone. Society today doesn't honor marriage at all. We've done every single thing we can intentionally to destroy marriage, haven't we? Right? Look at TV shows and movies and all that kind of stuff. Look at the way we do everything we can. We say, hey, live together before you get married. Right? Uh, why don't you say that uh, the husband's always a buffoon, that the wife, there's got to be a war of the sexes and all this kind of, isn't that fatiguing? That, that divorce should be cheap and easy if life is difficult. It's, it's for better but not for worse, right? So if it gets worse, then, then get out of there, right? We don't honor marriage. But when society doesn't honor marriage, society falls apart. Now, we can't change all of society, but we can change our own selves. And marriage needs to be honored by all. And we're part of that everyone. And so let me talk about some things that dishonor marriage. Of course, extramarital marital sex dishonors marriage, right? It's a violation of that bond. Now, you know what also dishonors marriage? Cohabitation. Because you're looking like you're married, you're acting like you're married with actually being bonded. God didn't design it that way. And there are going to be pains in your own life because you do that. There are pains in society because that happens. And it's not just the church saying that, it's the CDC. Or how about this? Emotional affairs dishonor marriage. It's not just being physically uh, true to your wife and your husband, but if you are starting to have like a work husband or a work wife... You start to, to bond with another person, that dishonors marriage. There's a bond there that God's designed you to have with your spouse. You know what also dishonors marriage? Authoritarian, absentee, and unloving fathers. That, that dishonors marriage. When a husband is like a king, when he's like a tyrant in his home, that dishonors marriage just about as much as anything else. When he demands his own way and he's not sacrificial, he's not laying down his life for his wife, he's not loving in what he does, dishonors marriage just as much as extramarital sex. And you know what else does? Absentee husbands. Guys that go to work and have nothing to do with the home, that basically leave their wives as living widows, dishonors marriage. You know what else does? Unloving husbands. Husbands that do all the right things but don't care for their wives, don't love them, dishonors marriage. In the like ways, you know what else dishonors marriage? Are doormat wives. Wives that are there that just take to say, well, I'm, I'm checking out. I am not going to be a helpmeet. I'm not going to be an advisor. I'm not going to, to have respect in my home. I'm not going to respect my husband. I'm just going to lay down. Whatever you want to do, that dishonors marriage just as much as, as extramarital sex. You know what else does? Domineering wives. Wives that say, I'm in charge and you better submit to me. That, dismiss, that also dishonors marriage. It goes against the order that God created. And also this, disrespectful wives. Wives that are out there always talking bad about their husbands, dishonoring their husbands, treating them like little kids. That dishonors marriage. It's not the way God designed it. He designed it to be co-equals. 
We have to begin honoring marriage. And if we want culture to honor marriage, we've got to start in the church because the church is no better than culture right now. We need to start here. Dishonoring marriage dishonors humanity. Do you ever think about that? It's part of our design. He created us male and female. He created us in this. When we as humans start to dishonor marriage and family, we dishonor who we are. It's part of our design. And you know what? Marriage is for our own good. He says it's not good for a man to be alone. He, I'm going to create a help meet suitable for him. Marriage is for our good. When we honor marriage and we live it in the right way, life's got so many great blessings. It's also a strong marriage and a strong family is the foundation for a strong society. And that's been true since the, since the very beginning. In fact, uh, you, you, had, uh, you ever heard of Caesar Augustus? You know one of the things that brought him to power, why he was so popular? is because in the midst of all the depravity of Rome, he had this thing. He said, you know what? A strong Rome needs a strong family. And he's teaching on that morality and the strength of the family helped propel Rome to the mighty power that it had. Strong families are good for us all. We need to honor it. But dishonoring marriage doesn't only dishonor humanity, it dishonors God. Because we were made in his image in this relationship, male and female. When we as a culture say it doesn't matter, we're going to make it however we want, we are designing God in however we want to design him, and that dishonors him. God is holy. He has shown us, he's given us a great privilege to honor him and I are very design. Marriage is the design of, of, of God's image at work in us. It reflects his image in a beautiful and a wonderful way. Think about when a husband lays down his life for his wife. When he loves her and they get to know each other and he cares for her and provides. And a, and a wife gives this wonderful, and she meets those, that, that, all of the deficiencies in her husband, right? That way of, of that femininity coming in and offering that softness and that love and, the, and that, that, that wonderful way that gals can just have that radar brain and see all kinds of things, right? And be able to help in that way and bringing beauty into the home and all those things. When it comes together and a wife begins to, to not fight with her husband but, but helps and advises, what a picture of Christ and, and the Father, isn't it? When the home is together, it honors God. And you know what we also want to see in that, remember that passage that we did in the beginning? It says, uh, marriage should be honored by all, for God will judge, right? He says there, the sexually immoral. There's a judgment to getting this wrong. God's not pleased when we mess with his image, when we hurt people by messing with this plan, this holy thing that he created. He's not pleased about that. There is, there is actual consequence. It's a dangerous thing to step out in, in an offense against God, especially in his image. That's why this, when I started this, this series, and I started studying about a year ago, I wondered why in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, why there are some especially in the Old Covenant, why there are some penalties to certain sins that seem like way over the top and other ones that just seem like way under, you know, like you, know, you did something really bad and you're like, it wasn't all that bad, right? Why? I noticed a pattern. There are two areas that God really levels the hammer on. The first one is sins against our faithfulness to God. So the people of Israel, you know, you, you practice uh, um, witchcraft or something like that, guess what? Boom, you die, right? That's a pretty big deal for, for being a skeptic. Right? So why? Because it was, it's saying the people of God need to follow him. You know the other one? 
that really always gets the hammer laid down is when people mess with family, whether it's husbands or wives or children, that the hammer comes down. (laughs) There's a judgment to this. And so it's not, I didn't write the book. But I will tell you as one, I have one of the best marriages I know. And I'm not just saying that as a pride. Amy and I have worked on this really hard. But we do. We've tried to model, not the traditional, because we tried the traditional when we first got married, and that didn't work so good. But when we really started setting ourselves to begin saying, we want a biblical marriage, it allows us to have an enormous amount of strength and joy. You can talk to my wife or my son when I'm not around, so you can ask. I'm not a perfect person. But we have a great home. And I will tell you it's worth it. When I look around and I say, you know what, 60% of the kids in Estes Mill Park Middle School are raised by single parents. And I go as a coach and I go and, I, and as a youth pastor and I was there and I helped with these kids. This is not against single parents or anything like that. This is actually for them to say, listen, it is so much easier when you have a biblical home. My son has it so much easier. He does. And when I go home, I don't have a battleground. It's great. It is worth it. I can tell you as somebody who's actually trying the biblical marriage model, and it works, and it's worked for 20 years, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. It is awesome. And so I would say, if you are in a place, and I know that this is a hard, heavy sermon, that's real, I mean, this whole series, I know it's just both guns, you know, it's not the, the, but if you're at a place, you say, you know what, I'm not happy. My marriage is not where I want it to be. Let me offer you some hope. There's a way that it can work. But it's going to require you to step away from the cultural model, the modern family. You're going to have to reject that because you can't live both. It's going to take work, but it's absolutely worth it. And the church is here to help you, and God is there to help you. And I tell you what, it is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. Marriage is to be honored by all. Okay, so what did we talk about today? Let's just go through it real fast, just in case you missed it. Marriage is foundational to humanity, right? Why do we talk about marriage is so important? Because it's part of who we are. And we take apart marriage, we fall apart. So let's get back to the basics. We want to grow. If we want to have a healthy church, we want to make America great again, start with the family. Right? Second thing we find is marriage is holy. We did create it. God did. This is something that we're not to mess with, but we do have an op- obligation to honor it. And the third thing we have is a marriage is to be respected by everybody. By everybody. That means if you're married, respect your own marriage and the others around you. If you're not married, you also get to respect marriages. You get to honor them. They say, this is an important institution. That's what we need to do. All right, so how do we put this into practice? And I appreciate no one throwing things at me so far. This is great. Take out your connection card on the back side. We've got some ideas for you, things that you can do to begin to start with. The first thing you might want to do is you might want to memorize Hebrews 13.4. Why? Because you're part of everyone. This applies to everybody here. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. So maybe that's where you begin this week, because our culture is giving us an entirely different message, isn't it? it it's saying that marriage shouldn't be respected by anybody. So this is, it helps to have God's word in our hearts. So, and we can say, God, how, as, you're, as we are memorizing this, is a great way to meditate on it and say, God, how am I honoring marriage? And are there any ways that I'm not? That's a great conversation to have with God while you're memorizing this, Right? That's important. How about this? You might want to read 1 Peter 3 because there are actually places in Scripture that talk to us about how husbands are to love their wives and how wives are supposed to honor their husbands. And here's one, one of many. But if you're wondering, you want to just kind of get a start, what does God have to say about his model? 
is a great introduction. Read 1 Peter chapter 3. How about this? Maybe what you need to do, and I would encourage everybody to do this this week, pray for our families. We have a lot of big things out there telling us how to operate families, and it's not working, and it's hurting real people. But guess what? Our God is bigger than media. He's bigger than society. He's bigger than culture. Our God is awesome. And I think if you pray for our families that God straightens them out, God's going to, he loves to be invited. Maybe that's what you do this week and really begin praying for our families. Or how about this? Maybe what you need to do is you need to evaluate and honor marriage. Maybe you need to look at your own life and just look at your own relationship and, and say, how am I honoring marriage? And if you're in a marriage, begin to evaluate it. Talk about it with your spouse if they're open to it. If not, talk about it with God. How am I fulfilling my role? Right? How am I honoring this? Are there ways I'm dishonoring? Evaluate it. But I think everyone, maybe this week, as you begin by saying, I'm going to start by actually honoring marriage for what it truly is. That's a great commitment. You know, there's something else that you need to do. And so I would invite you to write that on that other line. The Holy Spirit's telling you to do something. Let me know. I'll pray for you. Let's support you. If you have another decision to make, let me know. If you have a prayer request this week, of course, every week I love to pray for you. You know that. So write that down and here in a minute. We're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I ask you to put this, uh, also this connection card in the offering basket and, uh, and make that a, a, uh, an offering of your spirit back to God as well. All right, so let's pray for this and we'll have the worship team come out and then uh, help close us up in prayer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your design that you've given us, a loving design for relationships. Father, I thank you for, for marriage, that you didn't just create man alone, to bear your image, that, that you actually made us male and female and different, wonderful. And uh, God, I, I think that uh, just shows your, how loving and kind you are, that you would give us this great relationship to enjoy in this world. But I know, Father, that a lot of marriages are broken. So, Lord, Father, I pray for those that are struggling now, that the healing balm of your word would come in and help us to see what's, where we're off so we can straighten it back out and then through your grace that you would bring healing and health to the marriages in our church family. Father, going on beyond that, I pray, Lord, that as we grow and our families grow and our marriages grow in strength here, Father, that they would honor you so much that we would have the opportunity to help those in our town, in our culture, Father, to, to step out of the war that they live within. Lord, and step into the grace and the peace of a healthy home. And Father God, I also pray for those that are amongst us that are in the broken homes and, and have suffered for that, for the single moms and the single dads and, and those that have been divorced and, and Father, those that, that struggle. Even, uh, Father, I pray that your grace and your mercy would be with them. Lord, I know that you are God that, that cares for every single person. And I'm grateful you're a God that doesn't hold our sins against us, but in Christ you've paid for them and then you help us. So Father, I pray that you would, your grace would come into the single family homes, or the single people homes in, in this church with your love and your grace. Strengthen, help the church as well to support this and to love one another in a way that honors you. And finally, God, I pray for uh, these commitments and these offerings we're gonna make. We give to you our best because Father, you've given us your best. And you set the example. So Lord, it's with joy that we make these commitments. It's with joy we make these offerings back to you because we love you. And it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.